what can I do to bring joy into other people's lives, which, which really goes along with Operation Smile and us all working together as a team to bring joy into uh, the children who we take care of and their families who didn't even know these things were possible. You would believe the look on people's faces when you bring the child out from the operating room and they're, they've been repaired. It's just, this is just um, amazing. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Dr. Patrick Sullivan, who is working with Operation Smile. He started his international work in India at age 20 and has continued ever since. He is a plastic surgeon who has been referred to as a Tom Brady in plastic surgery. All of you people in that are listeners in, in New England are gonna know that guy. So we're very honored to have Patrick with us. He has been designated in the top 1% of plastic surgeons by US News and World Report, as well as Castle Connolly. He is internationally known for his artistic ability to shape and contour faces producing natural enhancements. And he is invited regularly to teach plastic surgeons throughout the United States and all over the world, and has done so now on five continents, as well as performing surgery on three continents. Patrick, welcome to the show. Well, Drew, thank you so much. I'm very honored to be with you. This is this is incredible. Thank you. <laughs> you know, um, just to start with, Pat, um, you know, my my good friend Gertrude, just just a little background on how I got to know Pat. So my good friend Gertrude randomly sent me a text message one day and she says, you know what, you Drew, you need to talk with Anu, this person, Anu Gulati, who I didn't even know at the time. And I talked to Anu, who is an amazing healer and is just finishing up a new book and who's going to be on the show. And Anu is like, it then sends me another text message. You need to talk with Pat and Maureen. Pat, Maureen being Pat's wife. And, and then I, you know, Pat and I connected and we talked and we had a wonderful conversation and Pat, here we are together today. <laughs> yeah, I think it's terrific. And, and my thanks to Anu, who, who I met actually through um, some sessions that Maureen and I did at Harvard Business School in medicine, you know, they don't teach us about business. So we did a few summer sessions at Harvard Business School, and they were set up by Anu's husband, Ranjay Gulati, who's my favorite professor in the world. It's just extraordinary. And he sets up the programs and then was such an amazing teacher. And he took us, he, he and Anu took us out for dinner as we stayed in contact after the courses were done. And and I met Anu and I thought, this is a magnificent person. She's amazing. So we developed this connection and she started, uh, then they came down to our house and she was telling me about your show and about the the, the four points and about the these things. I thought, I've got to listen. I've got to start listening to Drew's podcast. So I did the next day. And, and so here we are. <laughs> That's so awesome. And, uh, you know, when when I got off the phone with Pat, we had such a wonderful conversation, and uh, you know, I, I thought about all these synchronicities that he that he mentioned, and I and I thought about this great quote by Soren, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who said that life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards, and 
And Pat, you, you spoke about the, these really wonderful synchronicities um, growing up on the farm with your mom. And that, and that, but then, you know, at a, at a summer job, meeting this, this wonderful person who really, you know, was very influential in your life. I'd, I'd love for you to maybe take us back to that, if you could, Pat. Sure. Well, I was, I was uh, fortunate enough to grow up with my mom, who was just an extraordinary role model. She had never completed college nor had my dad, but that she eventually became a teacher. And we grew up in this farm in Minnesota. The most memorable part of it is that we were always short of money. And it was this farm where I was one of nine kids and, and my parents couldn't pay for college, which was fine. I was able to get loans and things like that. But I, so I worked a lot on the farm. I was the youngest of nine. So as, as people graduated, I then uh, was kind of taken on more and more responsibility, which made me help me realize that I never wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> so I was really motivated by that. And I got this summer job, which I eventually had to leave to go back to work in the farm. Before I left, though, I, there was someone who came through this, Dr. Jim Gill, who is a prof at Harvard. And he was doing, he was teaching a summer program at our university. And he and his associate, Linda, at the end of the week, uh, I worked on the same program, but at a really incredibly low level, they said, you know, you notice that you work really hard. So what do you plan to do with your life? And I, <clears throat> I told him I wanted to do work with underserved people, which is what my, my mom did in her, her teaching. And uh, they said, well, you know, he said, well, I'm, I'm a physician. I think you should be a physician because that's really a great way to do that. And I, I was, I was completely unconvinced. Uh, whether he was from Harvard or not, I just thought, no, I really don't think that's it. And he said, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to I'm going to let you pick wherever in the world you want to go to work, and I'll set it up so you can work in a medical community, and then I think you'll be convinced that that's how you can make a difference. And I thought, right. <laughs> He's got a call. So I, I said, I've never been out in Minnesota. So, uh, and he said, I'm going to call you in a month. And he did, you know, this before cell phones. And so he, I got a call in my dorm room saying, okay, where will it be? And I said, uh, as I said, I haven't been out of Minnesota. So uh, why don't you pick? You, you know the people. He said, well, I have spent a lot of time in India. He's a Jesuit and he has a lot of connections with the Jesuits. He said, I've got a provincial there that I want to, I want to put you with him. And he knows Mother Teresa. He works closely with the, the group with Mother Teresa. We also have people from Johns Hopkins that uh, you can work with there. So, so, so we went, so I went over, I, I um, got this time off from school and spent seven weeks in India and it just changed my life. And this was at 20. Mm. So I came back and spent some time with him at Harvard. And then he said, you know, India is just really, it's, it's a whole unique environment. You really need to try another place as well, just so you can get more fulfilled experience. And, and I said, well, you did a great job choosing India. So why didn't you pick? So he, he picked East Africa. So I worked in the area around Lake Victoria and was down in Tabora again with Mother Teresa's group where that's a hundred miles from where Stanley met Livingston, just these really remote areas. And so I came back totally engrossed with the whole idea of becoming a physician and then was fortunate enough to get into the Mayo Clinic, uh, had a medical school and that just uh, was where I started the journey in medicine. Mm. But that was the beginning. And here we are now with Operation Smile. <laughs> yeah, De yeah. Decades we're, later. 
and we're gonna we're gonna definitely gonna get into Operation Smile and and how people can get involved and all that. Um, did did you ever have the chance to meet Mother Teresa when you were out there? I I saw her from a distance, but I really didn't. You know, I told you I was really at the low level of a totem pole, and so I saw her and I saw her speak. And and uh, but I didn't actually work hand in hand with her as much as I did with Dr. Shanti, who was one of her six physicians. And she was the one in in East Africa where I worked with closely. Mm-hmm. But yes, what an amazing what an amazing woman and what an amazing work that they do. It's just extraordinary. So so, Pat, do you think that, um, you know, this hardworking aspect of, of your personality, of your life? I mean, do you I, I know you attribute a lot of this to your mom. And also you mentioned to me about football, that you're 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 a football guy. Maybe maybe take us back, <laughs> take us back to yeah. that and, and how that helped to shape some of your this hardworking part of your your personality, part of your character. Well, it was kind of my respite from the farm. You know, I just was uh, spent a lot of time either working on the farm or studying. And and so but I was able to get some time to play football, which I played during high school. I, I went to a, uh, just a, a small public high school in northern Minnesota. We had uh, 29 in a graduating class. Uh, four of us went to college. I mean, it was a, it's so different from the college I went to where it seemed like everybody went to these private prep schools and things like that that we have out here in the Northeast. So I really felt very behind. But I did have the chance to play football. And although our team didn't do very well, um, I was... Uh, had the opportunity because there were so few people that I could be co-captain of the team. And then uh, much to my surprise, I was voted all conference. Mm. And the only reason I bring that up is because what, what they said in the newspaper and all, all the coaches vote on who should be on the all conference team. And um, they said, the reason they're choosing him is because the team did much better when he was on the field. And so it, it wasn't, believe me of anything of my, um, when it comes to football, I'm no Tom Brady, but I'll tell you that he's just such a magnificent football player, and I'm not. But but it's just that I learned then about teamwork, and that's where I realized, and it's it's taken me through, you know, this in the operating room and the working with Operation Smile. It's a team. You know, we do so much better when everybody's working together, and that's why I'm inviting people as this podcast is to invite people to join our team on Operation Smile because we're going to go back to Asia. I've got, already got my flights booked on January 6th. We're going back to Asia and we're going to do some of the work that we didn't get done due to COVID this last year. But but I think it's it's that whole idea of teamwork that I, I learned, you know, in football that has uh, really been helpful along the way. Mm, that's great. That's great. I'd love to also just get, you know, you, you know, with Operation Smile, but even going back a little bit before that, um, I'm curious to know, Pat, what drew you to plastic surgery and in, in particular as an area of medicine to focus in on? Well, I might have mentioned that I have dyslexia and it it, it um, really, really shaped a lot of my early years because here I was in college and I couldn't read very well. And I couldn't spell very well, um, still can't spell very well. And the, the thing is, is that uh, I realized that I had to work harder than anybody else to be able to get the end result that I needed to in order to get into medical school. And I looked around and I saw these people, you know, 
um, how come how come it's everything seems to come so much more easily to them? And so it was it wasn't until I was 30 years old when I realized in surgery that I could see things that other people couldn't. And it's just somehow this artistic side of my brain was there for me, even though I didn't even know that was important before. But boy, in plastic surgery, it is. And so I kept trying to do other things other than plastic surgery because I thought oh, it's just uh, I didn't have really good perspectives about plastic surgery. I didn't know what it really was. And so I tried ear, nose and throat and I got board certified in that and did these other other things. And I tried internal medicine and, you know, that was so much reading. And, you know, but then when I got into plastic surgery and started realizing, my gosh, this is, you know, I, I can see these things that um, really help make a difference for patients. And it is this part of my brain that really uh, just it's a gift from God that really works. You know, a lot of the dyslexia part didn't work in the other areas, but this this really did. And I, I found that as I was giving talks that I'd be presenting things and people would come up to me. There was fun, <laughs> this resident who was, I knew him very well. He's really, really bright. And in I, what I do with my talks is I give um, people pictures uh, and then say, okay, let's solve this problem. How do we go through this? And step-by-step, step, I have them try to plan out the surgery and, and things like this. And then because planning is such an extraordinary part of our, of getting the job done for us. So so uh, he came up to me afterwards and he said, I didn't see anything that you were saying. <laughs> you know, after you showed the after picture, then I could see how you, you got there, but I didn't see anything. And that's when I started to realize, okay, I do have something that I can share and teach as much as possible. You can't really teach artistry, but I can teach some of the fundamentals. And that's why I've been so fortunate to be invited to these five continents, as you said, which is, is true and teach uh, plastic surgeons. So, so I've tried to formulate ways to teach this, but anyhow, this particular person it is now a hand surgeon and he's at an extremely well-known uh, center in the United States and people, you know, that, um, and, and so he realized that this is, that this is, even though he's really bright, he doesn't have this part of his brain that works. So, so he went into hand surgery, which is, you know, extraordinarily complex and important and things like that. But, um, uh, so that's what, that's what drew me to plastic, to plastic surgery. And that's what kept me and has kept me engaged, especially now with, with, uh, Operation Smile as I really have focused on this. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me when I, when I, when I was speaking with a new and she's, she's like, yeah, if you want to go see Pat, you know, you have to book an appointment like, like years in advance because he's so, cause he's the best of the best. And, and that's, that's what you are. And then in 2021, um, you stopped your your aesthetic surgery practice to focus full time on operate or to focus fully on Operation Smile. Um, Pat, maybe if you could talk about how you got involved with Operation Smile and really how you got started with them. Well, in, in terms of what caused me to start with them is they they came to me uh, now several decades ago and they were planning their next 10 the next 10 years for operation smile they were having a meeting in in uh, ireland and they asked me to come as one of their 10 universities i represented brown where i was on the faculty for 25 years and then a close friend of mine represented yale who's 
he's the chief there. And so we went over and I, I got to see, I saw this Operation Smile does so much more than just fly into a country, do some surgery and then leave. What they're trying to do is treat the whole patient to do not only the surgery, but also, you know, get people on the ground who can do the dentistry, who can do the speech therapy, who can take care of some of the family needs. Because a lot of these children in other countries, they're actually, they're actually put in the in you know in a back room and nobody gets to see them. The family's embarrassed that they they've got a cleft. They think it's something that they did was wrong. So I saw I saw an organization, Operation Smile, grow into something that I really wanted to team up with. That I thought they're the ones that are going to make the biggest impact, and and over these next ten years. And so that's 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 why I um, chose them as uh, the conduit for us trying to make the biggest impact that we can over the next ten years. Mm, that's that's so great. And it, so, so over these years that you've been working with them, do you have any someone that you've worked with, a patient? that really stands out in your mind as someone who you helped and healed and um, worked with and maybe, you know, that's, that, that stands out in your mind? Well, I think the, the people that I get to know, like, as I said, I, I did this kind of work. I was uh, uh, fortunate enough to uh, be asked to be the director of the cleft craniofacial program at Brown. And so I did that for a number of years. And so I treated these kids for, uh, periods of time where I do their initial surgery at at 16 months a, of age, and you can see these things on my website. And then they, as they grow up, um, what, what person that really stands out is somebody that I was um, contacted by her, and when she was 26, and she sent me these amazing pictures of her uh, with her, for her engagement. And you looked at it, and people in my office who weren't with me 26 years ago said she doesn't even look like she had a cleft. She just, she looks normal. And it's not just me with a cleft surgery. It's just, it's, it's the, the dentistry, the everything else that goes into the teamwork of getting this done. And I guess what really um, spoke to me about that is seeing these pictures and seeing her engaged and, and just having this really normal life now is what we aspire to for our kids all over the world. Because you know, we're, we're so lucky to be, at least I feel extraordinarily fortunate to be born in to the United States where I can be in a little farm in northern Minnesota and be here now um, out of the East Coast, which I, I love it here, and the opportunities that we have that these people just don't have. And I had, I've, I've worked in Brazil eight times, Peru a couple of times. I was just think of one girl in Peru. She was, a girl, she was a woman. She was 23 years old and had her face that's just you could see all the way back to her tonsils. You know, her face is split open. She has this cleft and we took care of it. But at 23, you can tell she's she's never, um, she wasn't in any engagement party. These people just live into adulthood and they just don't have the normal kind of things that um, we all expect are givens here in the United States. So so the my surgery now is no longer in the US. And, and so um, I knew, was was right. You know, there, I had some. I I left surgery on December thirty uh, first. My I operated on somebody from from California who knew I was leaving, and I operated on her. She was my last patient. I was lucky enough to have people come in from lots of different parts of the country and and different places that uh, I I was honored to take care of. And then I left with a big surgical waiting list, and just decided, you know. 
I want to, I want to pivot here and I want to do something that at least for me, I think will be, um, what I want to do to make a bigger impact. So now it's no more aesthetic surgery, no more facelifts. It, it's, uh, it's just it's just uh, the Operation Smile, which I've been doing for decades, but only part time with uh, different organizations and teaching and doing surgery. And then a lot of my surgery was video surgery because I was teaching plastic surgeons, thinking that it would be better if I could teach plastic surgeons so they could then um, take care of the children that that they have to take care of. So I would teach at national meetings and in Colombia and South America, excuse me, in uh, South Africa and places like that. And, and so, um, uh, but I think in terms of doing it the best for is, is Operation Smile because they, they not only teach, but they, they develop an infrastructure in an area where they're working. So the child isn't left behind when the surgeons go home, we train the surgeons in that area. And so you'll see pictures on my website of a surgeon I'm training in, in uh, East Africa, and she's she's uh, from Alabama originally. But you know, the idea is to leave more behind than just the children that are cared for. Mm, that's wonderful, Pat. How can people? Now I know you have a big event coming up in Rhode Island, um, but I mean, I know these events are happening all over. Um, anybody that wants to get involved, that's inspired, wants to get involved with Operation Smile. Um, what, where would you steer them to go? Well, uh, our event is one that is one of one of many, as you said. And so it's um, Operation Smile is in its 40th anniversary year. And so they they've come up with the idea of doing bike rides all over the world from Madagascar to Rhode Island. You know, and ours is in Rhode Island. But it, it turns out there are a lot of people that are from other parts of the Northeast and different parts of the country that are actually taking part of it because taking part in it, they join our team, but um, you ride independently. So you can be riding on your elliptical downstairs, you know, in your house or whatever kind of bike you have, you can be riding in your community and then just, just to, to get involved. But our goal is really to try to educate people about Operation Smile and what it does for people. There's an opportunity then that you can get sponsors, people to sponsor you and a way to raise money for our team. We're going back, as I said, to Asia, but also have plans far beyond Asia of what we're going to do in terms of um, minus and just cleft lip and palate work, but also taking fat from other parts of the body and rebuilding uh, kids that have deformities from uh, tumors, from injuries that they've had, also from developmental cleft and craniofacial problems. And that's what we were all scheduled to do. And we were two days away from starting that in the Philippines when, as you know, COVID just swept into Asia and we got, and with all my instruments, everything ready to go, but we got canceled out. So we were going to uh, operate on kids with Romberg's disease where uh, part of the face just doesn't develop, those kind of things. So we're we're doing far more than cleft lip and palate surgery. And that's what Operation Smile wants to do is just improve the whole community. So what we want to offer people the opportunity is to join our team. And if they, if they go on, uh, they can see um, the part where it says, you know, join our team. They can just click there and it will take them into our Rhode Island team. And then what we plan to do is, as as part of the team, we want to keep you involved in in what we're doing and also what Operation Smile is doing, the big organization. They have 
over 600 employees, full-time employees, and thousands of volunteers like myself. I'm just a volunteer. I get no payment from um, from Operation Smile. I cover all, Marina and I cover all of our own travel expenses. We cover our expenses of the hotels and everything where we stay when we're in the various countries. So the money that people put into this goes to taking care of kids and building the infrastructure in the country to get the people there educated up so they can take care of, the, so they can learn the things that they need to, to, to better care for the children. That's wonderful. And and we'll link up in the show notes too. So people oh, can see all the links and everything where wonderful. they got, where they need to go. Okay, great, great. Thank um, you. So yeah, Pat, just, a, just a few final questions that I ask um, many of my guests that are on the show. Well, well, one of the things that you you brought up to me during one of our conversations was <laughs> you were very intrigued and interested in the Playmakers Practice by Steve Gross, who was one of my guests. And I, I absolutely love Steve's Playmakers Practice, where he talks about joy and connection and in internal control and in, engagement um, in the world. And you mentioned to me that you that you would add a fifth practice. And I'd love for you to just kind of speak on, on, on what that would be. Well, thank you. I, I was very stimulated. I really like his, his playmakers practice idea. And he started out, his first one was, uh, what brings joy into your life and how can I bring the most joy into my life? Which I think is really, really an important and critical thing because how can you bring joy to others if, if you, if you don't have it yourself? But then what I added was number two is what can I do to bring joy into other people's lives, which which really goes along with Operation Smile and us all working together as a team to bring joy into uh, the children who we take care of and their families who didn't even know these things were possible. You would believe the look on people's faces when you bring the child out from the operating room and they're, they've been repaired. It's just this is just um, amazing. So uh, that is, um, and then he goes on to, you know, the, po- the, the points about social connection and staying engaged and all of those things that you mentioned, which I think are really, really key. Mm. And, and I also wanted to ask you about some of your daily practices. I know you've spoken to me about the power of gratitude and service in your life. I'd, I'd love to hear about some of your daily practices that really make you feel the most alive. Well, Yes, thank you. I and that's that's what I've learned a lot about is just to to ask better questions. And so every day I really try to ask myself five five questions that I think for me are very helpful and they might be helpful to other people as well, but just start out with what I'm grateful for. And you know what like at least three things that I that I want to be concentrating on and there is boy when you live in a place like the United States it's it's easy to find things that we can be grateful for and and then I go to you know you know, just like when you've been given a gift you want to give back and I think that's where this idea of gratitude gets into generosity and then number two is how can I best be the best person that I can be today for myself and for others. You know, how can I be the most kind and considerate and thoughtful and generous and just, you know, concentrate on that as, as number two. Number three is, you know, how can I make the biggest impact? You know, so for me, it's Operation Smile, I think is going to be what, what gives me the opportunity. But there's so many things that are outside of medicine that allows people to really make big impact. It could can be in food insecurity and the local uh, 
pantries and you know things like that. Um, and then and then picking up the goals for what do you want to get done not only today but this week, this month. Uh, we have a 10-year impact study that plan that we plan to do in healthcare. And some of it will be through Operation Smile, some of it will be in other ways through teaching and things like that, and then kind of prioritize this. And number four, how do you how do I maintain a, a positive outlook through all of this? Because all you have to do is get bombarded by the news. And, and there are just so many things out there that can draw you away from this. And I want to talk, if we have time, I want to talk a little bit more about, about that and more questions to ask. But then number five is, how can I invest in relationships and connections that make a difference? Because there are some people that you may want to connect with because they'll make a positive difference in your life, but there may be people that you can make a difference in their life by connecting with them. They might be lonely. They might be in poverty. They might be, you know, there's just a lot of things that they may have come into some really rough times in their life. And how, how can you reach out and be there for them and, you know, maintain some of the long-term friendships that I still have these incredibly close friends from medical school that we get together in Zoom with almost every week. And so I think maintaining those, I think those are, those are the five things. And then if you have more time for positivity, I will get into that you know, when you have time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was, was there something else, Pat, that you want? I mean, you're, you're such a positive force. Um, was there something else that came to mind? Well, yes, just more phrases like, I can do this. You know, you know with, with somebody with dyslexia and spelling problems and things like this, there are a lot of things and you look around at all these people that seem better prepared than you. And, you know, rather than I can't do this, you know, I just can't, I can't get into medical school. I can't, you know, it can be whatever they, and, and so if you just recognize your own strengths and try to capitalize them now, it took me until I was 30 till I found out what my strengths were. But anyway, you know, it's just, so it's something that just this perseverance and patience. And then, you know, what can I learn from this? Because really I've, I've certainly made a lot of mistakes in my life, things that haven't gone the way I wanted them to. And rather than say, you know, why is this happening to me? Why, why did I grow up on this farm? And why am I stuck? It's just like, what can I learn from this? And I think that that is a, another question that's really been a good one for me. And then, and then, you know, the other one is, okay, so this didn't work rather than I failed, what, what kind of thing can I do? Like, how can I attempt to do this differently? Even though it didn't work, you know, let's because you know, these people that in, you probably read, like I do a lot of things about people who their first, their first, uh, plan didn't work their second one, their business failed and think, but then they got something and here, like Colonel Sanders that happened to him. who was living in his car for a long time. So, um, so I think that, that just this perseverance, those are some of the things that I think are really key for people, no matter, no matter what they do. That's so great. And, and Pat, if, uh, let's see, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 40 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self, sh do you think, share with your younger self? I think it would be to ask better questions. You know, to ask these same kind of questions that I just just talked to you about now, Drew. I think there those are things that that um, when I had these struggles in college, especially and at medical school, you know, that it's um, they were they were really some challenging times where people seemed to be better prepared than I was. Things like that. It's just I wish I would have been asking those same questions earlier in life. Mm, absolutely. 
it, but it's so it's so cool, Pat. How you how you discovered your I mean this vision, this visionary quality that you had to be able to see things that people couldn't see. It, it, it reminds me of that. It just kind of popped into my head. I think it was Einstein who once said, "You know, everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish." by its ability to climb a tree or something like that, it, it, it'll spend its life thinking it's stupid, but yeah. it has its gene. And we all have that genius within us. And, you know, obviously you found your genius, um, but anybody listening, you know, uh, you know, just know that, you know, you have a genius. You just may not have found it yet. I think that is so true. And, and, and people will give up too early before they find their genius um, and, and give up or things like that. And that's why I think if you can still make great contributions, even though they might, they might seem small, just, um, that is such a good point. Thank mm. you, Drew. Oh, my, my pleasure, Pat. So, um, is there any, so as we, as we wrap up here, anything that you want to share with the listeners, um, as far as, any of the event, the events that you have, you know, again, we'll put all this in the show notes oh, with the cycles for smiles, but is there anything else you want to, um, you want to share before we, uh, we finish up here? Uh, well, thank you. I, I, I just think, um, for me, this is about operation smile and it about, you know, getting our team together, having people join our team and that we can all make a difference together because I, I learned back in, in football, uh, the, just the importance of teamwork. And, and I think that um, people joining our team and, and that is going to be something that, that everybody is going to feel good about. So I, I just thank you for this opportunity, Drew. It's been awesome talking with you. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's been awesome talking with you too, Pat. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, people, you'll be able to, you'll be able to learn more about it and, and about Operation Smile and everything in the, uh, in the show notes. And, uh, and yeah, Pat, thank you again for coming on the show today. It's been an honor. Oh, it's been it's been an honor for me to join you. I'm really uh, very humbled by the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.